Hi, I hope you're keeping well. If you're watching this and have reached day 19 of the Bible in one year challenge, well done. And I say that whether you're reaching it after 19 consecutive days or whether it's been a bit more stop start and you're a bit farther along than that. Our Old Testament readings have been following the life of Jacob, Esau and his family. By day 19, we've entered the story of Joseph, who has been sold into slavery in Egypt. And by the end of today's reading, he has been unjustly imprisoned after resisting the advances of Potiphar's wife. In the New Testament, we have been continuing in the life of Jesus, as told by Matthew. This week's passages have seen Jesus face increasing misunderstanding and opposition on all sides. And by the end of the week, Jesus is teaching in parables by the shore. William Barclay notes that this marks a definite stage in the ministry of Jesus. Up until now, much of his teaching has been done in synagogues, but those doors are closing. By the end of day 19's readings, he has caused offence at the synagogue in Nazareth when the people alongside he's growing up, whom he's growing up seem to respond with, who's he to talk to us like that? Jesus says, a prophet is not without honour, except in his home time. And you know, that's quite true of us. Familiarity can breed contempt. In some ways, it's easier to bear hard truths when they come from an outsider than from someone close to us. Either way, after that, we never read of Jesus teaching in a synagogue again in Matthew's Gospel. But as I was reflecting on this set of readings, I sensed something of a thread running through them. And it can be found in something Jacob says way back in day 13. You might remember Jacob and his brother Esau didn't get along. Their parents Isaac and Rebekah didn't really help matters as Isaac favoured Esau and Rebekah favoured Jacob. Isaac is getting on a bit. And the time comes when he wants to pass his blessing on to his son Esau. But Rebekah and Jacob contrive to deceive Isaac. And he ends up blessing Jacob instead. And as a result of this, he's on the run from Esau. Esau wants to take his life. He comes to Bethel where he has a dream in which he sees a stairway resting on the earth but stretching all the way up into heaven with the angels descending and ascending on it. In the dream, God reiterates the promise he'd made to Abraham of land, descendants and blessing for himself and through his family for the whole world. Isaac wakes up from the dream. And this is what he says. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was unaware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was unaware of it. That's a theme which runs right through the Joseph and Egypt story as well. Joseph is favoured by his father, which makes him unpopular with his brothers. And he doesn't help himself, to be honest, when he tells him about his dreams. And at first they decide they're going to kill him. Seems to be a threat in this family, isn't it? 
And then instead they sell him into slavery to some Ishmaelites, which is a really nice detail because Ishmael was the half-brother of their grandpa Isaac. And we find him next in Potiphar's house. But there's a phrase which crops up in that chapter, which is in day 19, Genesis 39. It comes up over and over again, which those who might have done the notorious Bible studies might remember. It doesn't crop up elsewhere. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, when he's thrown into prison, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the warden pays no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. It's like he wants us to know that the Lord was with Joseph. You reckon? Well, anyway, what it doesn't tell us is that Joseph was particularly aware of this. Sure, he's making the best of the situations he finds himself in, and he may even be trusting that God's going to get him out of this somehow or other. But when he's sold into slavery and then unjustly thrown into prison, and shall we say he's also forgotten by even the people he helps when he's there, it's quite possible to say that God's hand isn't always immediately obvious in the story. The Lord was with him, but I have my suspicions he wasn't aware of it. And that is the root of so much of the misunderstanding and opposition that Jesus faced too. As John would say, Jesus came to his own and he wasn't recognised. And he wasn't recognised by those who really ought to have had a better chance of recognising him. The religious leaders, his family, those around whom he'd grown up. The Lord was with them and they were unaware of it. As Jesus himself would say, seeing, they didn't see. Hearing, they didn't understand. The same thing crops up in day 17 in Psalm 10, when we're not always aware of God's presence. Psalm 10, 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself? in times of trouble. And yet, elsewhere we also read, God will never forsake the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Or, you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Or, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. That last one, I can vouch for. As someone who was fatherless from a young age, I can look back at times and see that God was at work in my life, that God was looking out for me, God was watching over me. Oh, I can't say I was always thinking in those terms or that I was always aware of it. Yeah, and you know, it was often despite me rather than because of me. There were times when I was a long, long way from God. There were times when God didn't figure in any of my choices. There were times when things were all going wrong or where I seemed utterly directionless. 
God was at work in all of it. Oh, not that I knew. It's only in hindsight looking back at any of it makes sense. But the Lord was there. And I was unaware of him. I'm recording this in our church, partly because this is a place where I do know some people do sense the presence of God. People will come into this space here and they will tell me you know, that they feel something special about it. And that even includes people who wouldn't normally think in those kind of terms. People who wouldn't claim to have much in the way of faith. But they sense something different about this place. Oh, it might be in the architecture, but it might be in the kind of relative peace compared with outside. It might be, and I hope it is, the prayers that have ascended from here over however long it is. We've been in here nearly 40 years. But you know, it isn't just here that the Lord is with us. He is with us always. He never forgets us. He never forsakes us. He's with us whether we are aware of it or not. God was at work, as we've seen in the last week, in a messy story of a messed up family. But it'd be hard to find him in there. And he's present in the life of Jesus, in the opposition as much as in the miracles. In the persecution. As much as in the parables. And he's with him. All the way to the cross. But he came to his own. And they didn't recognise him. They find it hard. To be aware. Of God and Jesus. And you know, sometimes we will need to encourage ourselves with promises of God's presence. Because he can feel far off and hidden. And it can happen at precisely the moments we feel we need him. But we aren't forgotten. God is at work. God is present. Even when we're not aware. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that you never leave us nor forsake us, even when we get it wrong, even when we're hurt and it's not our fault, even when we're misunderstood, even by those closest to us who should know us better, even when we are unaware of it. Help us to know you are with us. And may we have grace to look back and see the Lord was there and I was unaware of him. Amen. God be with you.